0: My name is Victoria Carr. And my name is Olaz Mompeo. And you're listening to the Researchers Code podcast, where we interview women who are pushing the boundaries of tech and scientific research. Today, Olatz and I are speaking to Professor Catherine Hawley from the University of St. Andrews. Catherine is a philosopher specialising in metaphysics, ethics and the philosophy of physics. She has particular interest in imposter syndrome, which is what we will be chatting about today.
1: Thanks, Catherine, for agreeing
0: this firstly and lovely meeting you.
1: Yeah,
0: you too. Um, Okay, so when was the term imposter syndrome first used in the literature?
1: Yeah, so, so imposter syndrome was first discussed in uh, the late 1970s, but at that time it was called imposter phenomenon. So that term was introduced by um, two clinical psychologists, Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes, and they identified this um, sort of pattern of self-doubt that they saw amongst successful women. Um, and that, they first talked about that in a, an academic journal article, um, but then Clance went on to write a book called The Imposter Phenomenon in 1985, and that was a book that was aimed at a much wider audience, um, and it's interesting because her book was called Imposter Phenomenon, but it was uh, the term imposter syndrome seems to take off and become more popular after that. So psychologists still call this imposter phenomenon, but when you read about it in self-help books or in um, uh, on, on you know, websites or kind of guidance for women in science or uh, people with, struggling with self-doubt in other contexts, um, it's normally called imposter syndrome these days. So I guess what I'm saying is it's kind of the, the discussion starts in the late 70s, but they don't get called imposter syndrome until the late 1980s.
0: So how would you describe this uh, syndrome?
1: Yes, so imposter syndrome, when we use this term, normally what we're describing is someone who has quite a lot of success in their life right so this is normally going to be someone who's got good grades at school or university or they may be enjoying professional success they've got a good job they've been promoted sometimes we're talking about someone who is um pursuing a kind of creative career in, in the arts and they've had success there maybe they've won awards for their work or prizes so it's someone who kind of from the outside looks like they they're succeeding in life But when we describe them as having imposter syndrome, what we're saying is that how they feel on the inside doesn't really match that. So, people who have imposter syndrome um, will often say that they don't feel like they deserve their success or that they feel it's some kind of mistake um, or that their success isn't really down to their own skill or talent, something like that. And often, in addition, what they'll say is, Well, I feel like any minute now, people are going to realise that I don't really deserve the success, that you know, I'm going to be revealed. So people with imposter syndrome are people who are, who are succeeding, well, that's what it looks like on the outside, um, but they feel themselves as if they don't really deserve that, as if they're, they're faking it somehow or that they're an imposter in their own professional success. Can you explain us what are the um, imposter attitudes? Yes, so in my, um, so perhaps I should uh, I should be upfront and say that I'm not, a, I'm not a psychologist, I'm a philosopher um, who's uh, taken an interest in imposter syndrome and, and um, trying to kind of think a bit more critically about the way we think about this. And in an article I wrote about this recently, um, I took up some of the questions that you've been asking me, in fact, about, well, What's the difference between the sort of appropriate little bits of self doubt or humility on the one hand and what we might call imposter syndrome on the other? And to try and think about that, I, I found it helpful to think about what I called imposter attitudes. And an imposter attitude is the kind of, might even just be a momentary thought that, oh, maybe things won't work out for me this time, or maybe the success was not just down to my own talent or skill or maybe um, someone else is going to be critical of me um, and the way I was, and so the idea is that an imposter attitude could be, could be something quite brief it might not be something too distressing it's a thought that might pass through your mind and then I use that idea to say well okay having a few of those is really not a problem and in fact never having any imposter attitudes might be the sign of too much um, self-confidence in fact kind of going too far in the opposite direction. And so I was trying to then think about this question that you've already been pressing me on a little bit, which is, well, how many imposter attitudes are too many? Or when, 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 when is it that imposter attitudes can be kind of too dominant or too distressing? And then when, if we can think about that, then that'll be when we know that someone is slipping towards imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon rather than just having a kind of healthy degree of, of self-questioning. And I think, I mean, to be to be a bit clearer maybe, I don't think there's a kind of red line that you pass across and all of a sudden it's a, it's a massive problem in your life, whereas before it wasn't a problem at all. When psychologists studying imposter syndrome, they typically, or what they call imposter phenomenon, they typically do it by giving people a questionnaire with twenty different um, statements and you can say how much you agree with each statement. Um, so these are things like... Um, Statement. I can give the impression that I'm more competent than I really am. So, do you feel this very often, or sometimes, or rarely, and so on? And. When, when people are given these, these questionnaires, what that results in is people being sort of placed on a, a sliding scale, right, so there are going to be some people who very rarely have imposter attitudes and some people who have them really very often in a way that causes them a great deal of, of distress and most of us are going to be somewhere in between, right, so it's not, it's not an all or nothing thing, it's, um, it's a scale that, 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 that people find themselves some, somewhere along. And
0: so when does the, when do we pass the boundary between being humble and actually getting imposter syndrome?
1: Yeah, so that's, a, that's a, another great question, right? Um, so one thing I think it's important to think about is how, how do you feel about this, right? So if, one, if, if it's one thing to be, I think it's probably quite a healthy attitude to be humble and to acknowledge that, you know, every success we have really is partly due to support and interactions with other people. If we can acknowledge that, Um, But still feel good about ourselves and not feel anxious, not feel distressed, not worry that that means everything's going to come crashing down, then that can be okay. Um, And in fact, that does seem to me to be a sort of healthy attitude towards one's own success. But if on the other hand, you're sort of acknowledging you know, you 're being humble and you 're acknowledging that other people 's support or a little bit of luck or hard work has helped you along the way, and then that 's making you feel really bad about yourself or making you feel really anxious that somehow you 're going to lose your job or the next time you have an opportunity, everything's going to go terribly wrong and if that 's the kind of thing that 's stopping you enjoying your success or it 's keeping you awake at night or it's making you kind of holding you back from taking up new opportunities then I think that 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 can be when it becomes a problem so it 's partly about you know, the, getting the right balance between recognizing what you've done for yourself and what other people have supported you in, but it's also about recognizing your own sort of emotional reactions or your behavioural reactions to to these things, and, and trying to see when it's when it's holding you back in your life or when it's making you feel bad about yourself. And if that's if that's what's going on. Then again, I think that that can be when it can be helpful perhaps to think of this as imposter syndrome as something that's causing you difficulties rather than just a kind of um, attitude that you can have to your own success that is something that you can deal with.
0: You're on the Researcher's Co podcast and (laughs) our audience is primarily academics and students as well so one of the things that students and researchers particularly can get imposter attitudes and, in some cases, imposter syndrome. So why do you think this is the case? Who is more likely to develop imposter syndrome?
1: Yeah, that's, um, that's a good question. So as often with, <laughs> with psychology research, like, a lot of the populations that have been studied are students or people in academic context because um, they're, they're available to be easily studied. Um, but what, one thing I find interesting about the psychological research in this area about... You know who who is more likely to study who who is more likely to have imposter syndrome is that the results are quite varied so um, when when it was first talked about, it was very much thought of something that was a problem for women in particular and in particular kind of high achieving professional women um, um, and so that was that was the context in which it was studied Th- these days the the the, the evidence is, is quite mixed so it certainly seems true that men can suffer from it from imposter from, from syndrome and it's not obvious how, how much of a kind of asymmetry there is between men and women as to uh, being prone to imposter syndrome. Some, there are some studies that suggest that as many as 70% of us across the board suffer from imposter syndrome, which um, again is I think a reason not to think of it as a kind of medical disorder, right, because that would be a, that's a, that's a, very, that would be a very high um, a rate of, of, of suffering. Um, whereas there are other, there are other studies that suggest that the, the rate is much lower. So the, there isn't a kind of really robust picture about who is more likely to have imposter syndrome, but there are some kind of factors that kind of crop up again in, in, the, in, in the research. So one is that, being a minority of some kind in the field in which you're trying to succeed can be relevant, right? So, so that could be being a woman in a male dominated field, but it could be your, being a racial or ethnic minority. It could be being a, a minority in terms of your your social class. So if you're working class and are trying to succeed in a profession where you don't see many working class people around you, all of those sort of personal features, all kind of you know features to do with your social identity seem to have, have, there are some sort of studies that seem to suggest that that can, that can promote imposter syndrome. There are other kinds of studies which look for correlations with personality traits. So there's some suggestion that um, a kind of correlation with, that there may be some correlation with perfectionism. Um, uh, and you can see how that makes sense intuitively. The idea that you know you hold yourself to very high standards, then even if other people are saying, "Oh, well, you've got a good grade," or "Here's your promotion," or "Well done, here's a prize for your book," um, then that that you know that may not be enough to satisfy you. There's also there's another kind of area of research here where people have tried to look at um, correlations with how you were brought up. So, particularly, so for example, um, uh, how your parents spoke to you about uh, achievement and success and hard work and so on and so ideas about you you know there's different sort of parenting styles which might value um, uh, primarily success you know getting the good grades at school or whatever it might be and the other styles, which value, would value that, but also put a lot of emphasis on valuing, you know, working hard and doing your best, even if it doesn't work out each time. And so, that, again, there's, there's been some some research that's tried to make connections there. But I, I, I should stress that it, it's quite a mixed picture, right? so there isn't a very clear, you know, there isn't a sort of very sharp empirical profile about this is the kind of classic impo- imposter syndrome person. My, I mean, just again coming from this from outside the field of psychology um and you know i 've been reading you know one, one thing interesting here is the sort of self help literature and the, the sort of general cultural discussions of imposter syndrome as much as the the, the empirical research. I think we should expect to see um, imposter syndrome more frequently in fields or in situations where there 's a lot of emphasis on something like kind of raw talent or innate skills or genius and some people really having it and other people not um because i and that's, you know, if, 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 if you're in a field where people put a lot of emphasis on that kind of thing, so some people have got it and some people haven't, then I think it's going to be very natural to worry about your success and whether, and to think, well, if I only succeeded because I worked hard or because I came along at the right time, you know, right time and right place, or I, you know, because I had a good team around me. Um, then that's going to feel like a sort of of second-class type of success Um, because it wasn't success due to my own innate genius sort of thing. Whereas in other other academic fields, which seem to be more open to the idea that um, uh, academic success can be, yeah, it can be down to hard work and and teamwork and having social support and being well-trained and all of that kind of thing. And yeah, you've got to have some talent and skill, but these are things that can be learned. I think we should expect to see imposter syndrome correlated not just with yeah different personality types or um different personal attitudes but also different sort of um kind of environments as it were in different professional fields or different different academic fields depending on yeah what what the sort of general attitudes are there towards different types of success and different ideas about talent
0: especially in academic fields and as a as phd students working in an academic environment there's no a short-term milestones and feedback can be quite sparse from our supervisors do you think that um your attitudes towards your abilities could that be affected by the amount and types of feedback that you receive from other people
1: yeah absolutely and i think this is this is this is um to me i think this is an important thing for us to acknowledge about imposter syndrome uh, that it's not just about the person um, just not thinking clearly or, you know, being irrational or something. Sometimes when we talk about imposter syndrome, it's very much projected as just the person themselves being unable to internalise their success, as it's sometimes put, or just not, yeah, exactly, not, not, not thinking clearly or not, not just being sort of sensible and just kind of calming down and realising that they're doing well. Um, I, you know, I think it's helpful instead of thinking about it that way, is to say, well, look, what situation is this person in? What might be making it difficult for them to um, acknowledge their success, or what, what, what sort of evidence might have they got available to them that they're they're doing well? And you're right that with particularly with long-term projects like uh, like the PhD. It depends on the situation you're working with and, and your, your team and your supervisor and so on. But for very many students, you're just kind of plugging away and you don't really know, you know, from month to month or even from year to year, really how well you're doing. And you might think, well, I suppose if I wasn't doing well, somebody would have told me by now, or you might think the opposite of that, right? Maybe everyone's so embarrassed to tell me how terrible I am, but they can't better to speak to me or something like that. Um, it can be, And of course, a PhD is very... It's a very different kind of work, a different kind of project from what most students have done before that. Whether that's in, you know, master's studies or undergraduate degrees or, or school studies, I mean, people often do shorter research projects as part of their, their, their earlier degrees, but that's very that, that's often just a few months at most. And so it's a very different experience from, from setting out on a, a multi-year PhD with the hope of getting yeah you know, getting getting a degree at the end and moving on uh, moving on with one's career. And, you know, I, think, I do think this is a skill that we should be trying to encourage in supervisors and other kind of mentors um, is how to help students and how to help more junior researchers get a, a sort of accurate grasp of how they're doing. That doesn't mean always saying, yeah, you're doing great and everything's wonderful, um, but trying to think about how we give feedback to more junior researchers. Um, in ways that enable them to learn from it without being becoming sort of paralyzed or traumatized by negative feedback, um, but also by enabling to take enabling them to take positive feedback seriously and understand you know that, that it's, it's, it really is a sign of of, of, of doing well, um, yeah, so I do think it's, it's, it's lots of reasons why the PhD is challenging of course but this kind of long term aspect to it and the fact that you depend so often on a particular supervisor you, know, you don't have a lot of different people giving you feedback typically during a PhD um, and so learning to kind of read the style of feedback that you're getting and understanding what's being said to you is not straightforward and then difficulties with that can often be what leads to imposter syndrome I think
0: I know that we have been talking about careers and how it might impact but do you think that actually might have an impact on how your relationships work as well, on a personal level?
1: You know, many of us know that our families have great hopes for our professional success or our academic success, or for many of us, our families have made sacrifices for that. Um, And that can, even if our families are incredibly well-meaning and only want us to be happy, knowing that so many people have their hopes put on us um, can I think that can make imposter syndrome feel like a more, more of a big deal? Right. Like, so once you start to have, if you're in that kind of situation, once you start to have self doubt, then you can start to think, well, it, there's a kind of catastrophizing thing that can happen, and one can think, well, well, what if I, what if things do go wrong, or what if you know this 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 project was okay, but if the next one goes wrong. You know, this is just going to be terrible. What will my family think? Everything will have all these all these years will have been wasted. Yeah, there's a way of sort of going down that line of thinking, um, which can be that which can be really difficult. So, so that's one way in which there might be a connection. Um, something a, a different sort of thing that some people have mentioned to me is that maybe feel that they you know some people may feel that they're setting themselves high standards as a friend or as a family member I think some people um as parents have this attitude as well and you may feel like well I'm you know I'm I'm doing my best to be a good friend here or a good daughter or a good mother or whatever it might be but really I'm, I'm falling short and I think I mean, parenting maybe the most sort of classic case about it, where people have young children and you feel like there's, there's always more things you can be doing for them, or you can always try and be the perfect parent or, you know, you know give your kids more, more, more attention and more organic food and more kind of educational toys or whatever it might be. So I think it is, again, this is just anecdotal, but my sense is that for some people it's possible to feel like you're imposter as as a as a parent or as, as a family member or as a friend um, but also just more generally, I think this wouldn 't be true of everyone has imposter syndrome but if you 're someone who has so much of this kind of self doubt that it 's really making you anxious and it 's stopping you enjoying a life and it 's stopping you enjoying the successes that you do have or it 's making you um, you know prone to holding yourself back, then it, it really wouldn 't be surprising if that was, would kind of spread out into other areas of your life and make it difficult to, for you to enjoy just simple social activities or you know spending time with family and friends so Again, I want to stress that I'm, I'm speculating a little bit here, like this is just kind of based on what, what you know, various people have told me over the years when I've had conversations with them. It's not a, 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 it's not a sort of empirical finding. But it's, you know, it's, in general, I think we do find it difficult to compartmentalize our lives. So if, if one's feeling like an imposter in some parts of, of one's life, then it, it wouldn't be surprising if what's going to spill over into other areas too. <laughs>
0: the term imposter syndrome I've noticed it's been quite popularized especially in the last few years I was just walking past old street and there was like a big advert from the economist saying you know everyone has imposter syndrome read our journal or paper (laughs) Um, and I don't know if that's just been kind of commoditized and franchised but what are your views on the actual term imposter syndrome do you think it's being overused or Do you think it's a valid expression to use to generalise people with imposter attitudes?
1: You're absolutely right that this talk of imposter syndrome seems to be becoming more and more common. If you look, I mean, just... Uh, looking, you know, if you look it up on Amazon, there are, there are, there are, there are dozens of books you can you can find about imposter syndrome. Um, and uh, I should say, you have to Google imposter with an O and imposter with an E as well. Um, and quite a lot of them are under the section in Amazon, which is something like kind of women in business or kind of women in careers and so on. So, although we know now that um, men can suffer from imposter syndrome as well, a lot of the kind of popular discussions um, are still, it seems to me, very much um, oriented towards women. And so why is all of this? Well, so one, one thing I think is um, interesting here is, is as, as we said earlier, that I, I think calling it a syndrome and the, the way in which it's commonly framed as a kind of a kind of irrationality or a kind of psychological problem or a sort of personal weakness or something like that, um, thinking of it in these terms very much puts the focus on the individual person, and says, look you you know you're you're holding yourself back right you 're not thinking clearly about this look you've got your good grades, you've got your good job you know you should be more confident, just go for it you know build yourself a spin, build your self confidence stop holding yourself back and I think that's 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 not always right right so I think thats a, that's a way of Something we often see right, in society, which is to say that you know people people are to blame for their own problems, basically, and that they you know if you've got a problem, you've just got to try and solve it yourself. Um, now, what's the alternative to that right, in this case? Well, one is, I think, to recognise that for some people this is a a significant problem, right, so there are going to be a a, a relatively small number of people for whom this really is a kind of a a source of great distress and anxiety and those people may need some kind of therapy or counselling and support. But for most of us, if we're having these kind of doubts about ourselves in a way that's causing ourselves problems... And that's despite the fact that we've got, you know, we're doing well with our grades or our our professional success. I think instead of saying, well, what's wrong with me and the way I'm thinking, it's perhaps better to say, well, what's wrong with the way in which we as a society in general or perhaps more specifically, we, we as in this kind of scientific discipline or whatever it might be. What's well, so wrong with the ways in which we're thinking about success and achievement and hard work? Why are we putting so much emphasis on individual talent and skill as opposed to success that comes through hard work and teamwork and um, social support and so on? So, uh, yes, yeah, so I think it's part of a sort of broader tendency to blame people for their own problems and say, hey, help yourself, like get into the kind of self-help movement there. But I think also, I, you know, there's, there's lots of, I mean, rightly so, there's lots of, Initiatives now that are supposed to address um, diversity problems in in academia, in science, and in in professional lives more generally, and uh, and often you find imposter syndrome spoken about there. And I think in some ways that's good, right? So it's good to say, well, look, you know, imposter syndrome is one of the things we should be talking about if we're thinking about um, diversity initiatives. But we 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 can't we can't then combine that with saying that well, imposter syndrome is a sort of Psychological shortfalling, or a type of irrationality, or so on, because again, that's a way of putting lack of diversity or difficulty—you know, difficulties that minorities may have in their careers. It's a way of putting the the onus on the individual again to fix themselves. So, yeah. So, I think if we see if we're seeing more and more discussion of imposter syndrome in, in culture more generally, I think it's. Partly because it's 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 kind of it's kind of convenient, right? It's it's a way of individualizing problems rather than thinking about the the environment. I mean, I've, I have mixed feelings about whether it's useful. I mean, here we are talking about imposter syndrome and I have some mixed feelings about whether, how helpful that is to people who suffer that way. I think often I speak to people who say, oh, I, I found it very helpful to find out about this concept and to learn that other people f- feel this way. And so that's good. Right? So I think if people are listening or reading about imposter syndrome and they can recognize these feelings in themselves and that helps them to kind of think about how that, the attitudes that they have to their own success, then that, that, that's a positive thing. Um, but I would say don't stop there right? you've got to take the next step and say well if I'm feeling this way I shouldn't just blame myself, I should think about what is it about the kind of feedback I'm getting or the kind of environment I'm working in that might be encouraging me to feel bad about myself you know, is there, you know it's, it may, may not just be, be my fault um, the other kind of um, I, mean, I, I don't want to say it. it's funny because it's hard for the people who feel this way but I, often people have said to me that when they first heard about imposter syndrome they thought oh Wow, interesting, all these talented people around me feel like imposters when they're not really, you know, they just need to recognize how talented they are. That I myself really am an imposter, so they, even finding out about imposter syndrome is not always enough to recognize it yourself because people have a tendency to think almost that they're fake imposters, like that everyone else has imposter syndrome and they're the person who really is an imposter. Um, so, there's you know, there's a lot of kind of in my view, I have yeah, I have a lot of mixed feelings here about about the best ways to speak about impostors in and whether it's really good for us to be walking past posters about it on the, on the tube.
0: So imposter syndrome is also infectious
1: as well. Well, <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> And of course, if you think about it, if we're all sitting around and learning about imposter syndrome and you're sitting in a group with other people and they're saying, oh, yeah, I feel this way and I feel this way. It's quite hard to say, no, actually, I'm pretty confident. I think I'm great. Right? <laughs> Even if on the inside, you might think, well, not that I'm the most Kind of talented genius ever, but you know, you might someone who's thinking, well, yeah, I've earned my success. I, I you know, I, I, do all right. I'm pretty good at my job. Um, it's quite hard to say those things out loud, especially when other people um, uh, are confessing their their sort of self doubts and so on. So there's another way in which I think talking about imposters in. Whilst I think we do have to do it and people do seem to find it helpful, there's also a way in which it can lead us all to kind of self diagnose because nobody wants to be the person who says, Yeah, I'm pretty great. How do we
0: solve the imposter syndrome?
1: Uh, well, that's a great question. And if I had the answer, I'd be writing my best selling book and uh, <laughs> advertising it on the tube. Um, but the, to the, there isn't, it's not something where there's a kind of recognized single sort of therapeutic response, right? So, so for some people who have uh, these kind of... For some people for whom imposter attitudes and imposter syndrome are causing really big problems in their life, I think that, you know, I think it's helpful to think about that as a form of um, anxiety or perhaps even depression for some people and to kind of go down the route of getting get help for those sorts of disorders. But for most, or for many, at least for many people, it, it won't quite be that, but still it'll be something that's causing them difficulties in their life um uh, and there as as I said a little earlier that there there isn't a sort of robust evidence about how to fix this, so most of the psychological research that's been done so far has been trying to sort of see who has it and what kind of what sort of factors make are correlated with it and what are not rather than trying to find um, uh, specific kind of responses for it but I think if we think about what might be useful, right, especially for these sort of middling kind of cases which are not really very extreme um, my own my own recommendation for people would be partly to try and do this thing of not taking it upon yourself as something to as just something else to blame yourself for not not just something else to feel bad about to think oh." oh I've got to get over my imposter syndrome and anyway. well, that just becomes you know why am I so stupid and feeling bad about myself you know the, the, there's a kind of spiral there that one can get into and I think it's, it's important to get away from that and so one thing I think a strategy that can be helpful there is thinking about okay what is it that people are saying to me or not saying to me or what is it about my experiences or the way in which I'm working with with colleagues or with supervisors or whatever but is help you know is helping me to feel good about myself or not helping me to feel good about myself so looking outside of you and thinking about those sorts of factors can be a good sort of first step now it may be that you can't change much of that right none of us individually can do a lot to change the um the kind of social violence that we're working in um and so but I think at least recognizing that this might not be something that's just coming from inside of you can be helpful um I mean, you see, I mean, you can look on the internet and see that there's various sort of tips that people will give um, and different people seem to find things helpful. Um, I think it's partly about personality and what what you find useful. One thing that I think I've found my own students and other people I've spoken with have found useful is to keep a little file, whether that's an inbox, you know, an an email folder or, or a physical file, you print things off or something like that. So when people do say nice things to you, um, keep a note, right? And that can be useful to go back and check that. So, um, you know, whether that's uh, colleagues or um, if anyone, you know, if you, um, anyone who responds to your research or if you get an interesting feedback when you're presenting your poster at a conference or something like that, keeping a note of that and keeping that in one place, that can feel like, um, in a way that can feel like a silly thing to be doing or it can feel boastful or kind of egotistic to be keeping those sort of emails. But it isn't right. We all need those we can look at those in hard times, and it's amazing how many people do keep that kind of file or folder. So that that can be a nice thing to have. Um, and I keep a folder like that for myself. I particularly value it when it's former students who who contact me, or but anyone who says something nice about um, about my research or about um, or about something I've done. It's you know why not keep a note of that. Um, the other thing I think is to um, try and. Um, think about what about this as a problem that is not just for the person who has imposter syndrome so when we think about what can we do about imposter syndrome we're not just thinking well what can the person who's suffering do and I think in a way it's it's all the more important for people who don't have imposter syndrome to be thinking about this so I hope that maybe there's some there's some people who are listening to your podcast who are um, who are themselves mentors or heads of department or um, or supervisors who have some ability to Think about how they interact with more junior researchers or or with students and think about again how do we talk about feedback how do we try and encourage people how do we enable people to take responsibility for the success and to kind of get positive and negative feedback without that becoming a big sort of crisis in their lives so i think it's something that we should we should all be taking responsibility for it's it's part of what we need in order to have a kind of you know a, work, a, a working environment in which um, people of all sorts of different kinds can can flourish is it's, it has to be an environment in which people um, are able to have a kind of accurate view about what they're good at, what they 're not so good at, what they can learn to be better at, and if we can try and think about some strategies for doing that collectively that's going to be something that I think will help to reduce imposter syndrome. Thank you yeah. so
0: much for your insights into imposter syndrome. Um, imposter syndrome is a lot more common than I thought so I hope um. our listeners will be able to find some useful information and uh, we'll also link some of your research as well on our website Great,
1: well it's been a real pleasure talking to
0: you You are listening to the Researcher's Code podcast If you enjoyed this episode why not subscribe to us on iTunes Spotify or whatever podcasting platform you use Also, if you could give us a rating that would be really helpful for other people finding us